Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play 34. Sound of Play, every other Wednesday, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 34 is returning guest, Special Agent Nick Parton. <laughs> Hello. Now, he understands that reference. I, I do now, yes, I yeah, do. Thank for that. So, how have you been, Nick? Yeah, I've, I've not been bad. I mean, um... I, I've indulged the the particularly British pastime recently of just endlessly moaning about the weather. Good, but good. I, I, I feel once again that's that's kind of a privilege of being British, and it's been uh, justified. Although, speaking as somebody in the the very south who lives on a hill mm. uh, and looking at what's happened up north to various places uh, with the floods, I can't really complain. You know, when it's a bit cold or a bit wet, having seen that some people have lost their homes and businesses underwater. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty bad. Um, but yeah, generally, it's a bit miserable and grey living in the Northern Hemisphere at this time of year. Mm, certainly. It was bright yesterday, uh, but obviously that will be irrelevant by the time this podcast comes out. So uh, enough weather chat. Yeah. <laughs> Let's we, hope talk it, about- we hope it's a nice day where you are. Yeah, that's oh, that's beautiful. See, that is where your your uh, your rich, sonorous FM radio style voice comes in, <laughs> comes into play. We hope we hope it's a lovely day where you are. And I've had slightly too much caffeine, so yeah. I might be a bit more FM DJ than usual. So, oh. um, fortunately, those with the uh, chapter select option on their uh, iOS devices can skip straight to the music. <laughs> if they and I, don't, I wouldn't if blame they don't. me if you do. <laughs> anyway, so the first track we heard opening the show there. Was uh, from Deus Ex: Human Revolution. Why did mm-hmm. you pick that one for us, Nick? Well, uh, the thing is, I, I absolutely loved the original Deus Ex. It was um, it was pretty much the only the only game of any renown that I could get for my Power Mac G4 back in the early two thousands. Oh, right. yeah. um, other than Medal Honor, which crashed halfway through, but mm. never mind. Um, but yeah, I absolutely loved it. It was, um, and I think it ignited. Uh, a love of stealth games that I have to this day. Um, and so, like many people, I, I was a little bit cynical when the remake uh, started to happen. Well, prequel technically, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true, actually. Uh, but, but I thought it was fantastic, though. I mean, bosses aside, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is the common the common yes. issue, I think, until they had... Uh, they had a release on was it was it the Wii U and they did something about the bosses the director's cut version which That's is available it, yeah. on Wii U and uh, PC as well I have it on Steam and I was actually going to ask you whether you'd been back to it because I hear I that they did a, no. they did a pretty great job now we talked about Deus Ex Human Revolution way back in issue podcast issue eleven of the main Kane and Rinse podcast mm. and yes of course generally we were quite positive about the game about bringing uh, you know this uh, at that point decade plus old PC game uh, up to up to date and sort of playability um, for modern consoles but yes those bosses uh, were 
a sore point in many in many cases. Now, I think at least one of the Kane and Rince team, possibly Josh, has been back to the the director's cut. But mm. what I heard was that they 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 did do a, a decent job of kind of ironing out the uh, the issues with those. So I'd be interested to to if I you know if I ever had a spare <laughs> spare time to go back to to replay a game, uh, other than for the podcast, that would be interesting. I think. Yeah, it would. I mean, yeah, the fact that if you if you weren't essentially a um, someone who liked to rush in and uh, do close up shooting, then yes, most of the bosses weren't really weren't really geared towards your experience. They weren't kind of yeah, yeah they were adaptable enough to be able to um, give you a good shot if you were a, a stealth hound like me. Yes, and the whole point of the original Deus Ex, which we'll be covering covering very soon on the main Cane and Rinse podcast in issue 299. Oh, yes, oh, uh, that'll be uh, towards the end of February. That'll be out. I'm not on that one uh, mm. because my schedule doesn't allow, but uh, uh, that'll be over to James, I think, hosting that one. Um, and, and the whole point of that was that it allowed you to tackle things very much with a... Uh, it, it wasn't so kind of, you know, do it this way, this way, or this way. Here's a choice of three things. It was like mm. really kind of... It's up to you. Spec yourself out and uh, and play in the style which you prefer. Yeah, and I find you'd kind of you would kind of slip in to to whatever that style might be. And I was always mm. impressed by how the levels, um, as as many alternative routes through it as it was, it always managed to guide you to the right places in in a. I think a just a very a very smooth way, a very well integrated way. They were quite. Tight, tightly designed um, experiences, um, yeah, and yeah, I think I think it was just a. It was almost in, in its way um, because I, I, I seem to remember at the, the the time when it was around, there were a lot of um, games that were uh, playing around with um, physics and what have you, and mm. having kind of play areas and stuff, which is prone to all sorts of glitches. But mm. Deus Ex, in terms of what you could do, it was very locked down. I mean, I don't believe. In Human Revolution, you could jump, for example. It was like if you wanted to get up to another level, you had to use a ladder, and that kind of eliminated certain possibilities for Mm. disrupting the way the game flowed. And it was it was almost kind of in that in that way, despite being in a three D environment, it had the kind of purity of design of um, something you know from the sixteen bit or eight bit days Mm. in a curious way. Um, yeah, it wasn't yeah. that it didn't have that same sort of level of kind of potential goofiness as a, say an Elder Scrolls game mm. from Bethesda. It wasn't it wasn't loose in that way. But I do remember being blown away, you know, when I first played the original Deus Ex and just being able to knock out a guard and then pick up the body and hide yeah. it somewhere or throw it in the water or something like that. But uh, yeah. that seems normal stuff now. But back then it was pretty uh, pretty much a, a, a big evolution, if not a revolution. Exactly, and the the, the uh prequel as it were yeah. kind of kind of followed through on on that sort of tightly designed experience and i, I think they absolutely nailed the the, the atmosphere of it the, the kind yeah. of the, the the clinical uh dystopia mm, and um, that soundtrack uh, mm. definitely played a big part in that it's the it's the the yeah the the soundtrack that instantly comes to mind whenever i think of human revolution is uh just that's kind of lingering glitchy high tech menace um, yeah, I love it. Beautifully said. Now, interspersed with your picks, uh, we'll be featuring some uh, selections from the community as always. And this one comes, appropriately enough, from somebody who calls themselves Retro Thumbs. And Retro, Sum- Retro Thumbs says, If there was a game system that ever had me at hello, it would have to be the PC Engine. Some of the finest games on the system for me are the Soldier series, but specifically for this sound of play, Final Soldier. It's unfortunate to me, as a great lover of retro video games, I only purchased a Japanese PC engine a few years ago, having judged it negatively for its Sinclair Spectrum-esque sound chip. After owning the console, you quickly come to realise that not only the system itself, but the sound chip carries great charm, so it's a bit of a disservice to compare its sound to the beeps of the good old Speccy. It's almost criminal that the Japanese were playing this game in 1991. It's a fast and fluid shoot-em-up that not only boasts solid gameplay, but each track accompanying a level is very easy on the ear. It's with this that I request track four from Final Soldier, named Sky High, apt indeed as it sees you flying over a busy city in Japan at night time. Please enjoy.
do you ever own a PC Engine? Kind of... No, sadly not. Um, I've played quite a few of the games on Wii Virtual Console and... Um, uh, but yes, I remember lusting after uh, some of the ones that the P- uh, that uh, CMVG would review. They were absolutely mad. Uh, around the same time that Xenon mm. 2 Mega Blast came out on the Amiga, yeah. they were raving about this game called Gunhead on the PC Engine. Yeah, I remember looking longingly at screenshots of that and just yeah. knowing that I would probably never get the chance to play it. No, um, and it, it's not one shame. that's. It's not one that I don't think Gunhead ever came to. Um, um, we virtual console, but uh, the Soldier oh. series did. Thankfully, Final mm. Soldier uh, came out in two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight, um, and to credit that uh, composer, that was Maskatsu Meikawa, uh, and very nice it was to always enjoy it when we feature a, uh, a horizontally scrolling shoot 'em up oh, track. Yeah. Because <laughs> they really are not in vogue at the moment. It doesn't seem. No, not so much. Not so much. Which is um, a shame. They were. I, I, personally preferred them over the kind of um, sorry vertically scrolling sort of bullet hell shooter it was just yeah. preference really mm. um well we had uh, darius blast uh has recently come to ps4 and steam if you want to if you oh. want a really classic uh, horizontal scrolling shooter up that isn't really a bullet hell game um sorry darius burst not darius blast um it's very expensive on ps4 they they launched it at a, a whopping 49.99 i'm sure it will go on sale um and it's on my wish list on steam at the moment where it's a it's a it's a less uh teeth sucking 24 pounds i think um for the pc version so but yeah that is very much a, a horizontal uh, scrolling shoot 'em up based on a an arcade machine that's some years old now but it's kind of a souped up version so yeah check that out and listeners oh, also that, yeah mm. Now, something very different. Uh, we've recently had the long-awaited, but I get the impression, although I own it, I haven't played it, but I feel like people have been slightly disappointed overall by Fallout 4. That may be an unfair assumption, but I don't feel there's the same buzz about it that there was back in 2008 when Fallout 3 came out. Mm. Nick, any hey. thoughts on this? Uh, I have heard mutterings about it, um, about Fallout 4, that is, and unfortunately my finances have not stretched far enough for me to... Jump into the next generation, but I am I am still I've still got it in mind because um, uh, Fallout Three um, really was a a singular experience um, for me, and probably probably my favourite game of, of the uh, that generation. Wow! Um, yeah, I, and I'm sure <laughs> many people will be uh, a little surprised at that. Oh, I don't know. But, I think uh, certainly it was hugely uh, a re- hugely requested podcast that we did. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think a lot of people actually. love it. Yeah, 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 I listened to that episode. It's a good one. Um, yeah, I think it was. I think it was the fact that um, it seemed to me to throw away most of the the tropes of the RPG genre that I didn't uh, really like, sure. and, and weld it to you know uh, the first person action experience, which I most definitely did. And I, I absolutely, I absolutely loved the VAT system because mm. I'm. I'm sometimes a man of nerves when I play these games, so I appreciated the fact that I could run into a conflict, click on VAT, and then think, right, what is my strategy here, yeah. rather than being dead in a second. Um, but, yeah, it's and also the fact that I managed to get it secondhand for £8. Oh, that's an Absolute insane. bargain. And it, it, <sighs> was, it was one of those things that I, I bought on a whim and perhaps didn't expect a tremendous amount from it, but it, it I must have put about... Uh, well, over a hundred hours into that it, is easily. value for money, right there. Absolutely, yeah. Was that the game of the year edition with all the uh, with all the DLC? It wasn't actually, but I went on to buy all the DLC, and I'm very much on the point lookout team as the best DLC from that. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I absolutely fantastic game. I just, I, I, I think it's because I don't tend to play much in the way of online multiplayer. I, there's mm-hmm. something I really appreciate about the, the, the single-player experience where you, you, can, you can have a quiet reflection each time on a mission you've just accomplished or one you're gearing up for, and it's, it's just you just thinking about what you need um, to go out there and, and, and come back uh, alive. In one piece, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you, you're not kind of you know, rushed by the... By, other concerns, as it were, which sounds tremendous, tremendously antisocial, but um, 
No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think, uh, yeah, sometimes I really like the vibe of going back to a a machine that isn't even online. Um, Mm. We've recently been playing the Street Fighter Alpha Zero series for for the podcast. And sometimes it's just nice playing on a PS2 where no one knows what you're doing. (laughs) Maybe that's, you know, I I know it seems weird being someone who podcasts uh, at least once a week, but sometimes it's nice to be kind of properly introverted so i'm with you on that like borderlands mm. i had a certain amount of fun with that and and co-op was a lot of fun but again sometimes you just i you know go, going back to the the early days of video gaming as you and i do yep. uh it was you know there certainly were social games but a lot of times it was you versus the world you know you versus the game world and and that's that's got its own that's got its own feeling and i suppose you know we're still seeing that with games like uh, you know very resolutely single player epic experiences like the witcher and things like that so yeah and i think it's fair enough and my my choices actually for this episode are predominantly yes. single player um so yeah uh but yeah with fallout 3 um once again, it's it's about the atmosphere that the soundtracks managed mm. to conjure up. Because I I had a quick look back on the the choices I made, and they don't they they seem very much like mood pieces as opposed to melodically strong sure. um, earworms that uh, lodge themselves in your head. But are, you know, obviously, no less worthy for that. Um, and the particular piece of music I chose, I, I I kind of felt like it managed to convey the you know. The, huge and dangerous expanse of the wasteland but actually without being too oppressively dark and foreboding because you'll find mm. you'll find a lot of that later um in fallout 3 but it just it just it just gave me this real excitement i mean there's obviously the iconic moment where you step out of the vault for the first time mm. and the 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 bloom of the light fades and the the wasteland comes into view and i just thought I have no idea where to go, and this is fantastic. And the music would just kind of buoy me along on the kind of the winds that you'd hear whistling past um, your ear on the headphones. And yeah, it just it it. I n- never got tired of hearing that music. And I think, uh, and as as someone who um, is a freelance musician, um, it's a real trick to be able to put together a piece of music that people will hear over and over and over again and not get unbelievably tired of. And uh, all the games um, that I've picked here manage to achieve that.
So that's Into the Wasteland by uh, Inon Zur. And uh, we covered, as I say, uh, Fallout 3 and its various DLCs back in issue 35 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. That was in our first year. Uh, I've not been back to those early podcasts. I don't know how clanky uh, they sound now, but um, hopefully they're still uh, still listenable. I know a lot of people go back because our, our back issue downloads are uh, are pretty substantial, mm. uh, which is a nice thing about our format. Um but we will be covering Fallout New Vegas later this year in November. That's already lined up for issue 246. Something to look forward to. Absolutely. Now, next up, we have a JRPG. Uh, there's normally one track from a JRPG in every sound of play. Not mm. always, but quite often. And this one's been requested on the forum at canandrince.com slash forum by somebody called Kerosene Blast who says, I'm surprised we've gotten this far and haven't seen much from Yasunori Mitsuda. Here is a piece called People Imprisoned by Destiny, also called Prisoners of Fate, depending on the source, from Chrono Cross. It's a strikingly dark tune that's played at the climax of one of the major story arcs. In context, it accompanies a plot twist that throws much of what happened earlier in the game, and indeed in Chrono Trigger, into question. I've always enjoyed how amazingly it fits Chrono Cross's tone in context, but also how it's hauntingly beautiful on its own. The slow pace adds a sense of gravity and weightless weightiness, I should say, and I love the contrast between the opening, which features a few instruments, and the climax, which builds into a cascading wave that crashes and dissipates.
Yasunori Mitsuda there with People Imprisoned by Destiny from uh, Chrono Cross, which of course came out on the PlayStation, the first PlayStation back in 1999 or 2000 in the US, never came sadly to the EU or the UK. Uh, it is available on US PSN though, so there, there, are, there are ways to play it and of course there are other ways to play it. Um, but we did cover Chrono Trigger in Kane and Rint's podcast, issue 166. And uh, spoiler, we really loved that game. That was a good good episode, that was. Thank you. Uh, right, now, still in the world uh, in the, uh, the world of the Far East and sort of uh, role-playing game-related things, but couldn't be more different, really, in, in many ways. And this is a popular pick and one of the most popular games among both the team and the listeners. It's from Dark Souls. Nick, why have you picked The Firelink Shrine? Well, like you say, it's a bit of a populist um, choice, but I really, I'm very behind the times and I've only just started uh, with Dark Souls. Um, I'm, oh, wow. I'm, I've, yeah, I've literally... Um, See, that makes a lot of people jealous. I'm I'm in a similar situation in that I haven't, ah. I haven't really played much of the actual Dark Souls. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Um, yeah, well, I'm literally uh, just killed the Taurus demon and uh, work. got slaughtered by the Black Knight. I, Naturally, <laughs> down the stairs because I, I I'm determined to to fell in before I move on, um, but yeah. So one of the reasons I started on it was um, because of the uh, shall we say now perhaps infamous Dark Calls podcast, yeah, by uh, uh, David Turner and uh, James Farley, mm-hmm. and so I mean I I've heard uh, uh, you know pretty much the whole of the game. Uh, yeah. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it seems like a game that's that would be compromised by spoilers, no. as, it, as it were. Because I don't think so. No. No, because and and I was especially attracted by the fact that it, it requires you really um, to engage the community because there's so much that's sort of left unexplained or unsaid. And I like the idea of exchanging tactics and what have you. It's a very different sort of experience for me. Um, so, but I, you know, I've hugely enjoyed what I've played so far, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting used to the idea of being incredibly disciplined, um, yeah. in a way that uh, a lot of modern games seem to allow you a tremendous amount of leeway. But um, all that's been spoken about many times before. Um, but the reason I, I picked the Firelink theme is that, um, on, I mean, on the face of it, it's, it's kind of gently melancholic, and. Uh, but because I know what I know from the Dark Calls podcast, it's it's redolent of the the huge challenge you're just starting out on. Yeah. Sure. So it's it it kind of evokes a certain degree of fear because I know that it, certainly when I reach uh, Quaylag or um, Ornstein and Smo, I'm going to probably try and smash my pad in frustration. Yeah. So so it evokes a certain sense so. of fear as well. But it's it's it's. Much like the Fallout Three one, it, it's still quite quite light, and um, it has a sense of the you know the storm to come or the pain to come, I suppose.
Violent Shrine from Dark Souls, of course. And naturally, we've done both Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2 podcast because uh, people wouldn't stop asking us to do it. Um, so that was uh, Kane and Rince issue 76 and Dark Souls 2 was issue 190. That includes Scholar of the First Sin Chat. And uh, Nick, as you haven't joined the uh, the current ger- generation yet, you've got mm. uh, Bloodborne and the, the, the kind of the ultimate edition of Dark Souls 2 still to enjoy. So um, yeah, I've seen, you've got your work uh, cut out. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the the early parts of a few Let's Plays on Bloodborne. It does look fantastic. Yeah, I really like it. Beautiful and beautiful game as well. Yeah, it is. Lucky and there, there are still rumours uh, of a uh, a PS4 Demon Souls uh, version, which which I would personally uh, yeah. love to happen um, because you know I think the PS3 version is tremendous, but it would be very nice to see it kind of you know upresed, upscaled, upgraded for the current gen. I think it would uh, it would suit it right down to the ground, and it would sell a whole bunch of copies. Um, <laughs> I reckon. Yeah. Um, new fans and and old fans alike. Maybe. Next up, we have uh, Paps Fritas, a popular tapas dish, uh, requesting something from Beautiful Joe. Paps Fritas says, Beautiful Joe was a game that seemingly came from nowhere and just kicked all of us in the ass. I was drawn by its vibrant characters and backgrounds and its frantic and unapologetic difficulty. Yeah, that's very true. Joe was sassy, incompetent, and at times pretty annoying, but I feel no character has blended attitude with charm that well since Sonic the Hedgehog. Likewise, its ending credits provided an in-your-face guitar part that blended perfectly with a more uplifting melody. The track perfectly wraps up your journey and evokes celebration as well as anticipation for what comes next. This is Standing Ovation from Beautiful Joe, and unfortunately I don't know which of the two composers get credit for it, but they are Masakazu Sugimori and Masami Ueda.
possible to talk about Beautiful Joe because I had a copy, but it had a scratch on the disc. Oh man! Yeah, no yeah. Oh, I still own a copy. Um, there was uh, Paps Fritas talking about the notorious difficulty, and uh, yeah. I, I've I've not finished it, so I've never heard. I, well, I had never heard that end credits theme before. It's a game that's on the big list of games that I'd love to cover for Kane and Rince, yeah. um, but that would mean finishing it. One thing I would say about playing Beautiful Joe, and it's a game you can pick up um, not too expensively, uh, although. GameCube version is, uh, as with Killer7, preferable to the PS2 conversion, I believe. Um, it has two difficulty settings, kids and adults. Um, and I think the way I've I've always felt that the way to treat that is not as easy and normal, but as normal and hard. So don't feel any shame in playing it on kids' difficulty because that's still perfectly challenging enough for most mortals, in my opinion. Um, it gives you twice as many health hearts. Um, basically so that's uh, yeah I, I think that's absolutely fine um, yeah so that was from 2003 now goodness me 13 years ago now back to the uh, Bethesda game studios softworks uh, type Loving. stuff Loving, yes. Well, they <laughs> for, certainly... For me, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, this is possibly our most requested game to do on the main podcast after Dark Souls, and we still haven't done it. Um, I've talked about this before. One day, maybe we'll tackle the Elder Scrolls series somehow. But until then, we'll just have to enjoy some music for it. Uh, and uh, you've picked uh, Far Horizons. Uh, mm. Tell us what it is you love about this piece. Yeah, I picked this uh, theme for similar reasons to the one I picked for Fallout 3 as it's it kind of evokes that same feeling of sort of boundless adventure and just the freedom to go wherever you choose which is which is the main thing I like about um Bethesda games I'm all I'm all one for a, a sort of uh, a, you know a tightly controlled narrative and a uh, an eventful linear experience but I I've absolutely loved the way that um Bethesda have just allows you to just go wherever you like and do whatever mm. you like and it is once again one of those um, themes that you hear a million times, uh, wandering across the lands. And I, I don't know. It's especially when it, if I'm hearing it as the, the kind of sun's rising, it just feels like you know it's mm. a new day of adventuring. Off you go, have fun. And um, uh, while while I'm not an enormous um, uh, fantasy fan, I, I kind of to to a certain extent I did need a fix of something like Fallout Three once I. <laughs> So I kind of caned and rinsed that mm -hmm. um, its very last um, drop of gameplay, and uh, in a way to tide me over until Fallout Four appeared. But I, I fully invested in it um, uh, completely, and I have about five different characters that I've, uh, of different uh, sort of races and classes, just to see you know what else it would offer. And it's, it, it really is, uh, when you take a step back and look at it, Skyrim really is, it's an enormous achievement. It really is. And I had an absolutely fantastic time with it.
So Jeremy Sewell is a composer who has uh, an extraordinary CV of uh, not ma not exclusively, but mainly RPGs, going all the way back to Secret of Evermore, which was uh, US ah. Square's uh, Super Nintendo RPG, which came out um, after Secret of Mana, uh, sort of on a wave of trying to catch the um, the new the newfound Western love for JRPGs, and they made this game Secret of Evermore, which I've never actually played. Um, but yeah, he, that, I think that was his first video game credit. But since then, he's worked on uh, the Total Annihilation series, which is obviously something very different. But in terms of RPGs, uh, Icewind Dale, Baldur's Gate, Dark Alliance, tons of Guild Wars games, but also the Company of Heroes games. Um, One heck of a pedigree then. Yeah, he's, yeah. I mean, it's 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 20 plus years um, and... Yeah, still still cracking on with Guild Wars 2 and, and this sort of thing by the looks of it. So, yeah, impressive stuff. It should be more of a household name. I think the amount of people who must have heard heard his pieces while yeah. they've been adventuring. I think he really excelled himself on Skyrim because yeah, I agree. Or orchestral music really is um, it, it's, it's the default setting for um, yeah. AAA soundtracks. So in many ways it's difficult to distinguish. Um, I agree, yeah. Uh, from, from game to game, but it's... Yeah, it. I mean, you, any piece you hear from that, it has it's just a very distinct flavour. Have so. you dabbled when you've been composing using orchestral sounds? Yeah, I do have a a suite of sort of sampled or, orchestral um, uh, instruments, and I've used it. Uh, I used it on a, a game my company did called, called the Nightfall series, as in mm -hmm. uh, medieval night, and that was that was all done with uh, orchestral instruments. And I, I did have fun trying to yeah. recreate some of those those that kind of grandeur that I heard um, in uh, all the AAA games that I found. It was, Anywhere yeah, it was people can hear that. Um, yeah, if you just put Nightfall game into uh, into Google, you should you should. Uh, they were all they're all browser games actually, except for the third oh, okay. one. And um, so Nightfall and Nightfall Two, uh, I think, if I may blow my own trumpet, I think they are well worth a look. Excellent, Little check them out. Puzzle games, yes. Right, uh, another sort of moody RPG uh, piece, or actually, this is two pieces. We're going to put them together um, for reasons which shall become clear. But uh, rather than Secret of Evermore on the uh, Super Famicom, Super Nintendo, this is from the Mega Drive stable and a very early game by the amazing Japanese super coding team of Treasure. This is requested by David Hartley, uh, and he says, For ages, the music that plays as you enter into the home screen of the PS4 reminded me of something. It rang a vague musical bell in the deep recesses of my gaming mind, something a touch unsettling, a tad shaded. I'd hum the little jingle and tried to tease the sound into the half-remembered tune without success. And then it suddenly clicked. I plugged in my Sega Mega Drive and fired up the ridiculous fantasy RPG Light Crusader. There, in the pause menu, was this waiting tune like some ethereal lift music from some mysterious Rivendell elevator. It sent weird music chills down my spine, not least because it came from this rather insane swords and sorcery game which I played over and over again but never quite completed. Like Crusader is a strange beast, a touch unsettling, a tad shaded and rather hard I seem to remember. Your main man David is summoned to investigate a village where people have been going missing and his quest takes him deep into tricksy dungeons full of relentless goblins and furious warlocks. Throughout, this brilliant progs, rocky, synth-based soundtrack pursues you, pushing you on and on even when a disembodied voice leaps out and shouts, it's going to kill you, just before you succumb to a fire-breathing eye-beast. Suffice to say, this is a game which has lodged itself in the dark pits of my brain and still creeps me out. Given that the pause menu music is so short, I also present the theme of the castle where you are given your quest, which is a grand and royal, but also has a tubular bells exorcist-ish Halloween feel. A perfect setup for a weird, weird game. So here is Main Screen and King Whedon's Castle. <laughs> Thank you. 
ever heard of Light Crusader. Ah, uh, yes, I remember it existing, but I never got round to playing it. Yeah, it came out also, uh, Light Crusader also came out on the Wii Virtual Console in 2007, including in uh, Europe. Um, so, yeah, there are ways to play it. You can still probably go through, if you have a Wii U, you can go through to the Wii menu and then into the shop from there and then get it downloaded from the Wii. Um, so, yeah, uh, Light Crusader is still available. Obviously, there are uh, emulators too. Um, the soundtrack is credited to Aki Hata, who I believe is a, best known as an anime uh, composer, and uh, Katsuhiko Suzuki. And as I say, that's one of the very first games from Treasure, um, their debut being Gunstar Heroes, which is a game we're going to cover on the podcast this year. Um yeah, loved love Gunstar Heroes, and uh, obviously they went on to make things like uh, Radiant Silver Gun and Ikaruga. Um, yeah, so great pick. Thanks to David Hartley for that. And remember, all of you, please venture over to our forum, just as he did, at canarince.com, where you can request your favourites. We'll continue to include a selection of those in each and every regular Sound of Play podcast. Please subscribe and uh, leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. We still don't have very many for Sound of Play. A tiny percentage of you have rated or reviewed the show. If you enjoy it, please remember to drop in and do that because it helps us uh, gain traction. Um, and similarly, don't forget to uh, tune in and subscribe to the main Kane and Rinse podcast. We also have a Patreon now. If you want to uh, donate into our virtual tips jar, you can find that via the home page or Patreon dot com slash cane and rinse i think that's it uh so before we hear about your last track nick uh thanks once again for joining us oh, uh apologies for forgetting on. that you've been on before but that wouldn't have changed anything i'd have still had you on again anyway <laughs> uh no, it's good and comeback. you've come with, with a with a very different selection of tracks which is cool um have you got anything that you're working on that you want to tell us about or anything you want to plug even if it's just your twitter account um, feel free well, there is there's one thing that I did recently, which is um, a comedy short film, uh, oh, cool. which is uh, based on a character called Al Pachinko, who is <laughs> <laughs> who thinks he's the king of let's plays, um, and he is clearly not. And I've cut together this this kind of pseudo YouTube fan made documentary of him and what he does, and. I, at the moment, I've got a, a trailer for it on alpachinko.co.uk, but I intend to release the full thing very soon and also start properly um, putting up videos on this YouTube and Twitch channel. So uh, have a look there if you want. And I'm on Twitter at FineExcuses, uh, and I'll be probably uh, talking about when it comes out. That. that sounds really cool and interesting and uh yeah and lampooning hope... the current culture which is uh you know i just hope it's funny <laughs> to other <laughs> to people other than me it's so very brave see. putting out putting out funny stuff i think in a lot of ways because uh, yeah. yeah um you know so it, it can it can fall flat but um i don't know it, I'm, i was i was chuckling at the name from the start so <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a good start you've got you've got the uh the feel good factor right there um but yeah sustaining cool. gags yes it's not something i've ever ever tried really so um yeah the best of luck but i'm i I, I've, I've, i feel i have confidence uh, now, finally, then uh, you've brought. We've we've had some uh, we've had some savour music recently from Resident Evil. We've had a few other things, mm -hmm. um, but this is yeah. I feel this is an, an iconic track from uh, from Resident Evil Two, and uh, yeah, the second appearance in this podcast from Masami Ueda. Uh, so uh, fond memories of, of Resi Two and the front hall. Oh, absolutely. Um... I mean, one of the reasons I chose it is is basically because it's being remade at the moment. Which, yes, uh, should be very interesting to see what exciting they make of it. times. Uh, yeah, but it's once again, it's the it's the first uh, musical track that pops up in my mind whenever I think of Resi Two. Um, I believe you first hear it in the, the police station, isn't it? Because it's, it's yeah. called the front hall, but it's yeah, yeah it's uh, peculiar to the police station and. Um, it's yeah, the, the camera sort of pans up, doesn't it? Uh, as you, it yeah. Such as it does with the pre-rendered backdrop. And yeah, that chiming comes in. It feels more like a town hall than a police station for some reason. But uh, yeah, it is that's the world of Raccoon City for you. Mm. And yeah, as you said, those chimes and the, the, the expansive reverb that um, you know carries the ringing of the chimes, it's just 
it just makes you think anything could be lurking in this police station and probably is. So definitely lurkers. You, know, you want to be tooled yeah. up and ready to go. Yeah, absolutely love it. Uh, reminds me of uh, well, the joy of being able to play as a character with my own name in a video game, and oh, yeah. the, also the joy of uh, meeting up with the cop in the, uh, the the badly wounded cop who says, "It looks like your party has been cancelled." <laughs> yeah, oh, script writing from uh, yeah, voice acting and script writing, and it was considered as quite a step up from the first game as well. So <laughs> yeah, it was uh, fantastic. I mean, it's it's a game that I've, I've played through myself, but also willingly sat down and watched someone else play it as well. Yeah, it's, it's just some just some games I think are uh, suited as spectator sports, and while you might mm. you know automatically think it's more the action based games are just the suspense in in Resident Evil Two and the ability to obviously you can shout out ideas to solve puzzles and what have you. I yeah, I loved watch sitting around watching what my friend made of it as well. Here's hope they do a fantastic job with the remake. Oh, um, yeah, I look forward to doing what I did back in '98, playing it through four times consecutively for each uh, characters A and B game because uh, wow. that's how it was laid out. It was uh, yeah, amazing. Right, thanks again, Nick. And, oh, thank uh, you. Lovely to have you on again, and uh, yeah, we'll leave you with The Front Hall by Masami Ueda. (laughs) ¶¶ 